All right. It's been a while since Ben Gretsch and I have done just a two-man ship chasing, but our friend Pat Corain, he's too rich. He's off scuba diving in the Maldives doing Lord knows what. Uh, but yes, it's Gretsch and I holding down the fort. We're going to look at some early 2023 ADP because that's the only way Ben Gretsch and I can get to winning 2 million if we're analyzing these trends early here in February. We'll also get some of our Super Bowl thoughts. All of that tonight on Ship Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Darius Tony? You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just realized that we've like round tripped the Kadarius Tony thing, you know, where it like went from Pat having his feet up like a gas that anyone could ever draft this guy to being like, holy cow, he was actually really efficient to like, oh, this bottomed out with the Giants to holy shit, he's on the Chiefs, we're going to the moon. And it'd be like, oh, he played one play and like <laughs> tore his hamstring again and is probably never going to suit up for the Chiefs again. He like, what a fucking roller healthy. coaster. Yeah, it has been a roller coaster. The whole admitting that he's good, but then also like, it doesn't matter because he can't get on the field thing is is wild. Is Pat uh, really in the Maldives? Thought he was in like no, he's the the funny thing is and I do like doing the bit that Pat is too rich to do a show with us, but he had legitimately scheduled a three-week scuba diving trip um well in advance of him winning two million dollars. He it is, it's off of Vietnam. He had told me about this in detail, I think it was in the summer, and basically the trip was I guess they've been doing these scuba diving trips. They've gone to like the Dominican and places. And there's been this place off of Vietnam and it's like very isolated and you have to take a boat all the way out there. And like all the scuba diver heads are like, this is the spot you have to go. And it's really hard to get to yada, yada. But they finally like booked their thing to go do this a long time ago. And so, yeah, he truly is completely isolated right now in the middle of nowhere off of Vietnam scuba diving. So it is what it is. That's incredible. He did mention, I think on one of the, recap pods or something or maybe behind the scenes to us that he booked that before he drafted the team that won the two million. yeah <laughs> before he yeah. even drafted it in the summer like good thing to do between booking and going on a massive vacation is to draft and win two million dollars i mean that, that's and, a good loop to, and, to close until we find that like international waters off of vietnam are actually like a tax haven and he's never coming back or something <laughs> like that <laughs> Uh, but yes, Pat will be back in a couple of weeks, or at least we think he'll be back. You know, maybe he'll have found God. Maybe he'll go the uh, the SFB, uh, you know, the FTX effective altruism route. You know, maybe he'll come back like this hippie that's decided to donate his money to all his causes. I mean, really, everything's on the table, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. I can't wait to find out. What is it? Three weeks. We're already through two. So we're. I mean, one more week here. We're gonna have Pat back. We're gonna get we're a good. lot of stories, or or we'll never hear from him again. One or the other. Kyle is just absolutely sick of our small talk. He is hammering what are our thoughts on Calvin Ridley's 2023 ADP. Can we do a little foreplay, Kyle? I see your question, but let's let's ease into this a bit here. Shout out to everyone in the chat. You know, Gretchen and I had talked a little bit too about, and with Pat, about like kind of what we wanted the offseason schedule to be. I think it was last year, and then two years ago, Gretch was the infamous me and Pat have top shot brain period around this time so we're gonna figure out what our schedule is maybe we'll we'll take a little bit of time off every other week i don't know what it's gonna end up being but you know we'll we'll still be around until we're fucking drafting every single wednesday night until the season starts yeah for sure we'll do some stuff i i mean 
The 2022 season was a long, arduous season for a lot of us. A lot of injuries, a lot of a lot of stuff there. Where I know I got done, and I was like, I need, I need to detach a little bit this year. I need to, I need to do. I've read three books already, Pete. We did the long things in December. I hadn't read a book all of last year. Three books in January. Holy cow! Uh, what's the uh, what's the highlight or the best one you've read so far? Oh, they're just, I mean, kind of patrons. Two of them were like psychological thrillers that my, my wife's a big reader that she, she got me onto that I liked. One's called the, one was called the, the last one I just read was the killer's wife. The one before was the silent patient. Those are both good, but like, you know, page turns. I read them in just a few days. They're really good in terms of like getting back into reading. They're good. Yeah. And then the other one was the, the sequel to the 1995 movie Heat. Was, re- was written by Michael Mann as a novel, just released last year, 27 years later. Yeah. Two. And that was pretty good. I, I mean, I know, we, you know, I think all of us, we were, we were talking in our group chat with Leone and how, you know, getting back in the rhythm of reading is hard. And I do think just like dumping into something that's super easy to read is a really good way to train yourself yep. into that habit. I need to get back to that spot. I do that with a lot of like nonfiction, right? Because we read a lot of stuff online and so it's like you know reading a biography or you know you go reading the fucking perfect pass uh about the air raid offense it's like not that big of a leap from what we read online all the time so it's good right. to get back in those habits that's what i was thinking i was like this is like a longer you know uh prestige article that i would read online that would get into that's like several thousand words and i, I love i love those long reads on online um mm. when they're engaging right uh but yeah i'm gonna sean uh put me on to some author, Neil Stevenson, I think, that's a little bit longer, a little bit more involved. I'm going to get into that next, and I'll probably – we'll see if I – how quickly I'm reading once I start getting into some tougher tougher topics. Yeah, and another one of, like, the mythos of Sean Siegel is that while also being the best fantasy player on the planet, he just finds time to, like, read every book and watch every TV show. Right. And it's like, dude, can you just chill out? Like, he's giving out recommendations for all this stuff all the time. It's like, can't you just wait till the offseason to start tackling some of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I told him I was reading more, and, and then he was like, yeah, you know, the novel I'm finishing up, I'm like, <laughs> you're just constantly reading a novel. He, I, he, I think he reads, like, during football season, which I don't know how he finds the time for it, but. Yeah. What's your take on this? This is obviously one of those silly things that in the grand scheme of things is completely meaningless, but this whole thing, asking for a friend, do audiobooks count as reading? Where do you fall on this? I'm going to say no. And I don't think that means that audiobooks don't have like a place and they're not educational. Like I enjoy them still, but it's not reading. Like you're not reading, right? Like (laughs) there's a very legitimate point about like actually reading the words on a page as opposed to listening to them. Uh, I would still say if somebody asked you, like if they, if you've read a book, I would still be fine being like, yeah, I read it without like clarifying that it was an audiobook. I don't know. Like I have weird, not incongruent thoughts on this where like if somebody was like, Oh, have you ever read this? And you only heard it on audiobooks. I don't think you have to be like, Oh yeah, well I heard it. Exactly. That's my exact point. Like if you did a bet with someone, like I remember Davis and I did a thing where we did this prop bet where we had to like meditate and read 30 pages of a book each day. I didn't, we took out audiobooks from that. Or if you say to yourself, I'm going to read 50 books in 2023, I don't think that counts. But by God, if you want to consume uh, a book in the same yeah. way you would a podcast, I mean, knock yourself Go out. Go for it. Yeah, that's still better than not doing it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, I did want to touch on this, Gretch, because uh, I know some people have been asking about this. We are getting 
to that point in the year, Donovan asking, is Omni a thing this year? Do you have any updates on, on what's going on in the world of Omni fantasy? Yeah. I mean, uh, working on it a little bit behind the scenes, it was a lot more to, to chew that I had bitten off than I expected last year when we did the whole Omni cup and we ended up with a lot of people playing, which was awesome. I want to, I want to do it as well as we can do it. Um, and there has to be some improvements that are made because, like, we didn't even have, like, a, a timer and we didn't have, like, timeouts. And so had to, like, babysit all these different drafts and things. They ended up taking up a lot of my time, um, which I don't have the time for this year. So actually going to probably write into the newsletter soon. But if anyone who's watching this and was really into it last year wants to help out with it or anything, like, I'm, I'm going to look to, like, try to find some people to maybe help out, uh, share some of that that load. But um, Kevin's at Lugal who built the site and, and does some of the work is, uh, I was just emailing with him earlier today. He's doing some, some prep to get it ready for 2023. So yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be there in some form. Right. And we got some, we always have different, uh, events. we got some fun new events we don't have the world cup men's world cup, but we have the women's world cup. We have the world baseball classic, which they haven't done in several years, but is a fun international baseball contest in March, uh, like during spring training, which will be a fun thing to add to, to OmniFantasy. There's uh, both XFL and USFL this season, it seems like, for the, yeah. for the smaller leagues. So it's going to be a fun year for the different sports that you can add into it, for sure. I feel like you guys – I don't want to tell you how to run your thing. I feel like you guys need – you need a sponsor. You need someone to come back up the truck with some money, give you guys some money so you can devote a little bit more time to this, justify it. I mean, are you guys looking for a sponsor? I, I would love to get a sponsor. Yes. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm not actively looking. I'm not actively doing much of anything with it. It doesn't make any money right now. Well, as we know, you know, sometimes you just put things out in the world. You manifest it. If you're interested in helping out with Omni Fantasy, maybe with some admin stuff, some back-end stuff, or if you're interested in sponsoring it, I do think you guys are on. We've said this for years. Like, it's a really fun concept. And obviously, there's things like, I do think the margins are thin and like you tweaking it. Like you mentioned this year, like adding F1, that sport didn't lend itself well to Romney right. is how top heavy it was. So you're still like tweaking and finding that perfect equilibrium. But when you do hit on it in that sweet spot, it is a really, really fun way to draft and play fantasy sports. Yeah. It's super fun. And we did the big, I mean, we have the ship chasing cup, which I haven't dug into yet, but then we also did the Auburn fantasy cup to try to make that available to more people. And that had 144 people in it and like just got decided in the last like couple events. Um, Evan, and I don't know which Evan this is, but there was an Evan that was leading the entire time and his team kind of fell apart at the end and he's looks like he's going to finish like third. Somebody came all the way from behind and Anthony, which we don't have like full names here. We just have Twitter names, but <laughs> Anthony, congratulations. It looks like you're the winner because <laughs> he you has go. the Chiefs. He had uh, the winner in NASCAR and another top four NASCAR driver. He had the runner up in the World Cup. Um. And see, I remember one of mine, and, and Willis and I didn't even celebrate this, but I remember when we were doing the ship chasing draft, and I remember we took Argentina, and we were both sharing gifts of uh, Messi. I remember messaging my some of my more you know soccer heavy friends about it. I was like, could Argentina actually win the World Cup this year? And they're like, yeah, maybe. Uh, so there we go. We did get our eighty points there. Nailed, yeah, nailed Argentina. for the Argentina, which was a fun one to get there. Uh, you guys got shout out to league, though, yeah. Kyle, who I believe Kyle is also uh, Noto, uh, and I'm butchering his full Discord name, but he also won the Ship Chasing Dynasty League that we did this offseason. So Kyle is on an, on an absolute heater 
these days, Omni and uh, and Dynasty. Is that the um, is that the ship chasing cup that you clicked on there? Yes. Yes. So there's three leagues for that, and when we we usually name a winner with the overall points. You had 550 as the overall there. I just opened up mine, and the leader in mine is at 450. Pat has his league as well, which I don't have. I could dig up, but um, I don't have in front of me. But you, Cal might be the overall ship chasing winner for that one. Wow. Look at that. So we got what? 80? So he might be the UCLA? dynasty and the, and the Omni. What were we going to say? I was just looking at where he got his points. I mean, holy cow. He was just crushing everywhere. Yeah. If you go to big board, you can see his draft. And then the green is is 80 pointers are, are champions. So his three, four, five uh, pick world champions. He got the PGA champion Cameron Smith down in the 15th round. He had the runner up in the World Cup in the second round. Lewis Hamilton, his first round pick was actually kind of a huge bust at 102. Wow. We, we talked about F1 a lot, and he ended up being kind of a bust. He was like the one surprise in F1 was that Lewis Hamilton wasn't good this year. But everything else he smashed. He's got the Niners there and the as a as a semifinalist in the sixth round, the Mavericks is a semifinalist in the 14th. The New York Rangers is a semifinalist in the 10th. Got some good picks in there. Yeah. That oh, is Croatia really nice. is a semifinalist in World Cup down in the 18th round. So he had France and Croatia in the World Cup and got them both into the semifinals. That's pretty money. Do you know the other? I have another idea for you, Gretch, with a thing that could be like, I don't think a huge heavy lift for you, but just having like, an omni twitter account where like when a team or a person like secures points and then people could just turn alerts on and you get that thing of like oh i just secured x points for this because i would I, like i remembered it for Messi in argentina but then i would forget about it for like the nhl or whatever yeah i have at omni fantasy and i was gonna use it for that but i haven't you know haven't done anything with it again like it's enough it takes enough just to get the, the thing up and running that's why i want some Help if anybody wants to help out because, oh, yeah, Carlos Alcaraz. Remember we were talking about him, um, the tennis player, yeah. the young tennis player? He ended up doing really well. Yeah, it was our to... guy. It was our guy, Nick Bird, who I think was uh, hyping him up to us. And then we started watching uh, highlights of him. And then he fucking crushed this year. Yes. Yeah, he was. And even with all the hype, he was still like a much later tennis pick, like, uh, I think when people were taking him really high, he'd maybe be like the eighth highest picked tennis guy. I mean, he was not usually the the anywhere near the, like the top five or or even top seven or anything. But he was in position to potentially win tennis going into this Australian Open, but he had to miss it because uh, Omni Fantasy is the the three tennis tournaments majors from one calendar year and then the Australian Open for the next calendar year because that's in January down in the uh, Southern Hemisphere in Australia. Uh, Hassan's favorite. Yeah, I see Hassan's name on, on screen. Hassan's favorite uh, country there, Australia. So anyway, uh, Alcaraz had to miss the Australian Open. So he fell to, uh, I think he finished like fourth. So he ends up as like, you know, counting as a semifinalist. Uh, the tennis points are done a little bit differently, but he won one of the majors, right? He won the U.S. Open or something. I mean, he was yeah, he got to world number one ranking this year. Uh, the chat's telling us so. He, I mean, he was like legitimately a breakout, like a superstar. There you Love go. It. It took him in the twelfth round. round. 
value there you got to pull the trigger and i was also laughing all of us have horrible picks in there but i was just laughing at silas's los angeles rams at 410 pick i mean that has yeah. to be one of the worst picks. <laughs> that's the best honestly one of the best parts of omni is looking at the like how bad some of the picks were in hindsight i mean they're yeah the rams at 410 didn't go well that's very true um and, and for went, some reason a few picks I was before. just going to say, for some reason, you uh, are confused what we're talking about. So Ben uh, helps host this super uh, innovative like fantasy contest called Omni Fantasy, and you draft across a ton of different sports leagues, basically anything that can fit to the size of however big the league you want to do. And then you can host that with friends. We did ones through ship chasing. Ben did a bigger Scott Fishbowl-esque tournament and uh, a very fun time, and we'll always have some details on the show you can get details you have a separate sub stack for the omni fantasy right ben i do yeah i think that's omnifantasy.substack.com i'm seeing kyle's comment here <laughs> i i he said i passed on teaming with him in dynasty i i did team with him we did like one pick together and then we added additional dynasty leagues so that i could be you know host one of my own there was a bunch of people that wanted to keep playing so i had to jump back out of that but he had already started such a he had such a good start and he had aj brown and everything and i was like oh yeah I love your team. We're going to, you know, we're going to do it. And, uh, and then I had to back out. I was pretty bummed about backing out. And then he went on, I, I forgot about that, but he went on to win the whole thing. That's money. He went on to to do it. Yeah. We're still, uh, if for some reason you haven't, I've been, I basically took over for everyone as treasurer for the leagues. I still have a little bit of money to pass out. I think most of it has been paid out, but if you haven't been paid and you're in the ship chasing dynasty league, shoot me a DM on discord. Uh, Gretch, I know you've talked a little bit about Super Bowl thoughts, uh, conference championship, post-mortem. I listened to you and Sean break down that uh, that Chiefs-Bengals game in detail the other day. But what are your kind of early snap takes on the Super Bowl? I know you were on the Chiefs side. You know, I got caught up in Bengals euphoria. You were kind of pushing back on that. You have to be a little stoked that uh, Patrick Mahomes pulled that rabbit out of his hat. Yeah, I, I had... For over at Stealing Lines, I had the Chiefs and the Eagles last week, and so I mean, I got I got both the sides right. I was happy. That's kind of who I was pulling for. Obviously, having you know, picked them and bet them. Um, the Super Bowl is is tougher. It's trickier. I don't have a clear take yet. Um, I like both sides. <laughs> I mean, they're both the one seeds. You know, I think. Um, I mean, it's ne never like good radio to be like i don't really know but I, I think the arguments about the eagles soft schedule are probably overblown in some circles but also not unfounded entirely right they're a very good team but they haven't necessarily had to beat a lot of good teams they're packed for the super bowl one of the easiest frankly of all time they beat daniel jones and the giants and then their next game they're playing already a backup qb and he tears his ucl right away and then that backup qb gets a concussion and the guy with no UCL has to come back in. I mean, they, they threw two passes in the second half, I think, the Niners. That doesn't mean the Eagles wouldn't have still won that game, though, because they played a really good game. And they're very, they're an obviously very good team that hasn't had to play a lot of really difficult games. Um, I think Sean made the point on that Stealing Bananas uh, pod, but and, and in part to defend me sort of pushing back on him. His first thought was the Eagles would sort of win, and I was kind of making this point. And his, his point back was like, yeah, I mean, if it is a close game, the Chiefs have had to play a lot of these tougher games. They've had to play the Bengals. They've had to play the Bills. They've had to play tough games throughout the regular season in a way that the Eagles, I mean, they've had a few tough opponents, but like really 
favorable schedule most of the season. Not not a ton of uh, difficult matchups and not a lot of games where they've been, uh, you know, close late and had to pull things out. If it is a close game, I think there is something to the fact that the Chiefs have had to play those types of games before. And there's, I think there's definitely something to the fact that Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts is good, but Jalen Hurts, for as, as much as the Eagles dominated that game against the 49ers, Jalen Hurts did not look good. I mean, he missed A.J. Brown wide open on a deep shot that should have been like a 70-yard TD. So obviously I'm going to judge him unfavorably for that. But he, he missed several throws in yeah. that game. He didn't look great. Um I think he's good though. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lump myself in with the people that are just sort of Jalen Hurts haters. There's a lot I think that that jump too negatively on that, and say he can't throw, he's just a runner and all this stuff. I mean, you don't want to go that far. It's good. I mean, they're good. The Eagles are very good. The, the Chiefs are very good. I'm having a hard time reading it. I, I, I think it is very much like the Bengals, where I thought the Bengals were better in a lot of other phases, but Mahomes is just on another tier than Burrow at this point, frankly. And Burrow's really good. But I thought it was laughable that people were saying that Burrow could be considered better than Mahomes, even if he beat him in that game. And that was something we talked about a lot on Bananas over the last couple of weeks. In this case, I think the gap at quarterback is probably even wider, even though Hertz is incredibly good and was frankly better in the regular season than Burrow, finished higher in the MVP race than Burrow, uh, or presumably will. I still think, you know, Mahomes is the big advantage for the Chiefs. The Eagles otherwise have a lot of advantages at other areas better offensive line, uh, better receivers, better skill position players. Chiefs defense is a little bit underrated, but probably a better yeah. defense for the Eagles. Um, it's it's going to be a fun game to see. What's your like break-even point, or your, I should say your tipping point for the pass catchers? Because I know we're still a week and a half out, but Tony DNP today, Hardman DNP, Juju DNP. Like how far – can the Chiefs and Mahomes get away with not having pass catchers? Like, can they go out with Justin Watson, MBS, and Sky Moore and Marcus Kemp and win this game? Or do you need to see one of these guys back healthy? Well, we probably need to see him healthy. I, I Pete, I, I mean, I don't know if we can talk about it on the show, but Sky Sky Moore had seven targets and caught three passes for 13 yards. Like, that was really but that impressive. kick return, bro. That <laughs> yeah, kick that return. kick return. <laughs> They put him back there because because Tony and Hardman are both hurt, and I, I'm like, he's fumbled like three kick returns this year. He's been a disaster. I mean, what a huge, huge play, though. I, hopefully we see Sky do something in the Super Bowl, but I would have thought he could have stepped up in some of these spots in the playoffs when he got a little bit more run. He has not looked ready yet, frankly, no. I, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, I think you probably need guys back. But I assume Justin Watson will be back. I assume – I mean, Juju can't be that. How how banged up is Juju? He um, like, okay, he was like in and out, right? Yeah. So it says right here. It's so it's his knee. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have a good good read on it as far as uh, as far as where he will be. Um, I, I, I mean, assume the, he's the tipping, play, but yeah. yeah, the tipping point question for me is like, it's probably further than for most because I just think Mahomes is that good. I mean, he played pretty damn well in this last game. I mean, he made – MVS played really well, looked very good, but you have to put a lot of that on Mahomes too. But I mean, MVS made some really nice plays. I think it was the best game he's played with the Chiefs by far. Um, made some plays down the field, made a really nice play, like yards after catch play on a short catch that I was just like shocked by because <laughs> it's not really his game. 
he did he did a lot throughout the game. But I feel like Mahomes can elevate anyone is, is sort of yeah. the point I'm going to get to, you know? Yeah. And I do think for me, it's like Mahomes is going to be Mahomes. The Chiefs offense, it's just going to do what it does. They're going to stay involved in games. And to me, it does come down to like, can the Chiefs defense and can that pass rush get to Jalen Hurts? Can, you know, can they do what they were able to do against Burrow and really play the game they wanted to? Yeah. Because I think if you think about that Bengals game, like, those first few drives where the Bengals just didn't have any offense. Like if that doesn't happen and Burrow has a clean pocket for that full game, like the Bengals win that game. And so then the question is, can they get Jalen hurts under duress? Can they kind of shut down some of the things the Eagles like to do? And then just like, if it's a low scoring close game, you just have to like the chiefs chances. But if the Eagles are able to do what they do, it's just like, how can the chiefs keep up firepower wise well with them? I agree with your point that the way that the, the game played out, if, if if the Bengals had done anything early, they would have won. I think that's pretty indisputable given that the game was you know close late and the Bengals didn't do anything early at all. I would also argue that the Chiefs did a terrible job of maximizing points on their good drives. Andy Reid burnt a lot of timeouts, terrible punt decisions, two different punts in both halves with about two minutes left inside their opponent's 40-yard line in a situation where you're giving the opponent the potential last drive of the half, it's like a no-brainer go. He did that in the second quarter, did that in the fourth quarter. Uh, Andy Reid did not call that game particularly well. Um, I think he called it horribly, actually, to, to be completely blunt. Uh, I, I think the like if we're saying like a little bit of what-ifs, like yes, the Bengals could have been better and they could have won this game. I think the Chiefs could have been a lot better in this game too. If they do a better job of maximizing like their good plays and their good drives and getting seven instead of three and going forward on fourth downs, I mean, there's paths to them looking a lot better than they wound up looking in the AFC championship that were right there in front of us. They just didn't actually happen. Yeah. What do you what are your thoughts on the total? I feel like the total is interesting. It's set at 50. Um, I've been burned betting Eagles overs like every week, just being like the Eagles are going to do their part. Will their opponents just have to score like two touchdowns and the over will hit every time that it, that doesn't, doesn't happen. Uh, this, this spot seems interesting to me. It seems like the sharp side is on the under and I still just want to fucking believe that the over is going to hit. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of work on the over under yet, but my immediate lean is the under as well. I mean, yeah. I took the overs in both games last week because I was like, these are all really good offenses at this stage of the season. Good offense tends to be good defense. I mean, the Chiefs Bengals should have went over. It was 2020 with like most of the fourth quarter left, and then neither team could get anything else. The over under was 47 in that one. I was like, we just need a touchdown and we're going to, you know, push. And then um, it ended up being decided by a field goal 23 20. The Eagles Niners, I think, also very well could have went over if the if if the Niners don't score seven points because of all these QB injuries. But same time, like they're two good examples of how like you have competitive teams, like games can be held down a little bit too. So I mean, the the this total is even higher than both of those games. They're two really good offenses, and I, I do tend to think offense dictates a little bit more at this point, but. We also know that you know defense has been huge in the Super Bowl many of the last you know decade, couple decades. I don't think that's going to be the trend forever. I think we're going to see more offensive teams win Super Bowls through their offense. But um, it's a high number for you know. Yeah. I mean, I I would want to dig into past Super Bowls, 
totals. I mean, there's been some low-scoring Super Bowls recently. Obviously, the Rams and Patriots one comes to mind immediately. It was like 13-3. That Super Bowl sucked. But how many have gone over 50 in the last decade? Yeah. And I, I bet there's not a ton. To, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can dive into that. Yeah, it, it, it is tough. I mean, the, the whole thing, the Chiefs have just, ever since Mahomes hurt his ankle, they've been such a tough riddle to kind of crack as far as what you could expect for them, right? Because if they had a healthy Mahomes and a healthy receiving core, it's like this total would probably be set at 55. It would, but I would like to under even more. I mean, like last year, Ram. Okay, so Rams Bengals was twenty three twenty. Actually, the same score as Chiefs Bengals. That had a forty eight point five. I mean, you're typically getting two offenses, two teams that look really good going at each other. You're thinking they have an extra week of rest. You're thinking um, that they're gonna they're gonna come out firing, but. It's not always going to play that way. I mean, like, look at this. So, Casey San Fran a couple of years ago was 31 20. New England Atlanta was a classic. Philly New England was a classic. But a lot of those games, yeah. I mean, there's some high scoring games in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, you look at some of these, like, I don't, I don't know if people would have assumed like New England Seattle would have been. Yeah. Um, I wonder what the over under, what do you think the over under was in this Seattle Denver one where they, just fucking truck sticked. I don't know. What it, year was it, that? 2013? Yeah. 2014. Or that's when the game was. Yeah. 2013 season. Cause uh Pro Football Reference lists some of this stuff. It's they yeah. have it as 47.5, so it went over. We definitely got spoiled for a while when you look <coughs> at like the scoring in some of these. Um, there was really just a couple of these that like really either bottomed out. I, I mean the that New England Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl was a fucking travesty. That was terrible. <laughs> so bad. Were we? Were you in Nashville? Yeah, with we us were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We and it was so like bored. we had an awesome crew. I remember I was yeah. sitting with Silva and Rebar and like great people to watch a game with, and it was just a boring ass football game. Like it, it really was. Um, all right, everyone's gonna get plenty of Super Bowl takes over the next week and a half i did want to touch on some early adp stuff um i know on uh ffpc they've launched some initial best ball contests underdog has the early 2023 if you want to kind of create your own private 12 mans um but i did want to look at an industry draft on ffpc i believe davis is in this draft have you seen this board floating around i've it was seen like- the board float around i haven't dug into it a ton but um I, yeah. I, I dug into a different board that I saw over at Stealing Signals like a couple weeks ago. I think it's fascinating to look at these early drafts. I'm like excited to, to dig into this stuff. I am I am too. And I don't I don't know if um these guys, whoever I think this was Dan Williamson, overhyped sleeper. He must have attended the Buckeye Boomer school of screenshots here. We are battling some pixel issues, but we will try to fight through here. I mean, Gretch, there are multiple things that fucking jump out to me like crazy i'm gonna point out one of the things that seems fucking wild to me i love Brees hall um i think Brees hall is probably you know even appropriately valued but Brees hall in the third javante williams in the mid seventh yeah is that crazy that's insane right i mean the two of those in conjunction with each other don't make a lot of sense unless i don't right. understand their injuries I can understand being a little bit concerned in a January draft about injured players and not wanting to dive in and be like, yeah, maybe he misses half the season. Like maybe we get a JK Dobbins, like I'll get my exposure to him later. I can understand approaching things at this point in the year 
where you're cautious on players. But if you're going to be that cautious on Javon, I mean, like if you're going to be that aggressive on Brees, then that that drafter I think should have probably taken Javante or somebody. Something isn't right there. <laughs> One or the other isn't right. And also, again, like I know this is a self-contained twelve-person league, but I mean the risk-reward proposition on Javante there. It's like there's basically yeah. no downside risk as a seventh-round pick. Like none. That's a no-brainer. He's going to at least play in the second half of the year. Yeah, I, he stands out to me immediately too. The, the thing um, that stands out to me most right away is there's six quarterbacks in the fourth round. Like, yeah, I mean we do get earlier quarterbacks in the early part of the offseason, and we also get. Uh, earlier quarterbacks in best ball and it's not like uncommon and and then we knew that quarterbacks were going to rise this year like that's something that's been discussed uh and and actually a lot of people have been saying they might go in the second round the other one the other board that i looked at did have some second round quarterbacks at least one josh allen i think went in the second round this one you don't get a quarterback until 309 but then starting at 401 you get six in the next round and i think there's that pull that we talk about with some positions like we, we talk about with tight end the most i feel like we're like you have the elites and then the next group always gets pulled up based on where the first names come off the board. Mahomes hurts Allen in this range. I can kind of understand. Once you start getting into like Trevor Lawrence at 409, like isn't he just getting pulled up by the other names? Why does Trevor Lawrence belong at 409? I can't make that case. That that one was like one of these things is not like the other. Like if you extrapolate Justin Fields' season and even, you know, more progress, yeah. more weapons makes complete sense. Even Justin Herbert, you know, kind of a snake-bitten season for them. Injury-wise, getting Kellen Moore, I can buy that. Obviously, no one needs to talk about Burrow, Allen, Hurts. And then it's like Lawrence? Wait, like Lawrence is going to be a rock-solid quarterback, but man, to put him in that tier above Lamar Jackson, like he should be going around – Dak and Tua and Kyler, right? Yeah, I mean, even with the the comments you're making about Fields and Herbert and stuff, my argument would be to take a quarterback here, they have to have massive upside. We already know stuff about early quarterbacks. The reason that we would be maybe willing to take quarterbacks this high is they can score differently now in the modern NFL. The Josh Allens, the Jalen Hurts, with how much how many points they can score on the rushing side in addition to the passing stuff. Mahomes is just very unique. I actually think Burrow's probably overdrafted there as well yeah. because he's more of a traditional quarterback. I think he can put up a phenomenal passing season, but you're like asymmetrically betting on that ceiling in this range when you're talking about like what the opportunity cost is. Fields is interesting in the sense that he ran for a thousand yards this year. Like you just said, if he develops as a passer, you can definitely justify he can score at that level. Trevor Lawrence has a little bit of mobility, but for him to score at that level, he's got to throw for like 5,000 yards and, and 45 touchdowns. Like he's got to have a Patrick Mahomes passing season. Maybe he develops into that, but again, it's all baked in. All that upside's baked in. Same probably with Herbert in my mind, even. Although I agree with you. I, I can understand Herbert a little more. That's why I emphasize the Lawrence pick. But the guys that are are we're going to elevate this year need to be guys that can score in a way that differentiate them at a position where we do know some guys from the later rounds are going to be able to score as well. Like you can't just pay the ceiling price on a, on a player to lock in certainty, if you will. For sure. And especially just like with best ball too. And you look at some of these guys that are going in the 11th, 12th round and it's like, I'll take my, you know, safe floor bet, Aaron Rodgers paired with a wild card upside bet like Trey Lance. And I'll go toe to toe against your, your Trey Lance and look at those two V twos too, of like, who's the skill position right. player you're drafting in the 11th. Like, it does seem very, very off to me. Um, well, and and I mean, if you go like further down, 
on this board. I mean, way I think I you sent it to me earlier. Jordan loves in like the twenty fifth round or something on this. So there's some there's an argument I would make about um, Jordan Love's not guaranteed to start this year, but there's there's obviously a discussion about Rodgers potentially being traded to the Jets, and I think whoever gets whoever quarterbacks for the Jets is going to be in a really good spot coming up next year. You you could be play into some uncertainty at this position at this point in the year is sort of the argument I would make. If Rodgers does get traded, I think he's a great pick, honestly, in the eleventh round with that supporting cast compared to the other prices that are being paid here. It also would make Jordan Love an incredibly good pick. But if Love's like a 25th rounder, it's sort of just that's sort of arguing that this room doesn't believe that Rodgers is going to get traded. Well, if you don't believe Rodgers is going to get traded, then some of the guys like a Derek Carr, for example, for me, who goes in the 13th round there, becomes really interesting because he becomes one of the probably favorites to be the I mean, he's a good enough quarterback that he's going to start somewhere, right? He's going to start either for the Jets, maybe for Tampa now with Brady retiring. Obviously, when this draft was done, Brady wasn't retired yet, so he goes earlier than he would have. But, I mean, some of the guys like a Derek Carr, for example, who doesn't have a team right now, I like that price in the 13th round. Like, there's a good chance he goes somewhere where he has some pretty good weapons. Um, I don't. I haven't looked at, like, all the quarterbacks, but it just, like – Love in the, like 25th seems like an, an easy pick too. Like that's just crazy. For sure. And even like ugh, the odds of Mac Jones outscoring Trevor Lawrence next year are a lot smaller than a 19th round versus fourth round right. difference in ADP. The 2v2s you were talking about. I mean, they're, yeah. they're crazy. Yeah. Um, a couple other interesting ones here. Let's do the Kyle Pitts thing. Um, this is an outlier, as Paul V notes. I've seen a couple other boards. Jameson actually just DM me another board we can pull up as well. I've seen him more going in the third or fourth round. It's interesting that he goes in the sixth round here of an industry draft. For some reason, I just would assume the industry people would be a, a less like, hey, I'm never drafting this guy again. Those kind of knee-jerk reactions you normally hear from the public. For him to go in the sixth round here does seem wild, and I, I realize we are both incredibly biased, but that's mispriced. That's mispriced in the sixth, but I mean, I'm I'm going to take a slow walk on <laughs> Kyle Pitts this year. I'm a big wow. Kyle Pitts guy, but I'm going to I was ready to give it to Kyle Pitts. To Rob Ra going. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a little bit of room to breathe. Arthur Smith is back. I was really hoping he wouldn't be. Uh, I think Ritter was a positive, but he still didn't throw a lot. I still think this team's not gonna throw a ton of passes. Um and I mean Arthur Smith is, is legitimately like a like a really shitty coach for, for fantasy. Like it's just not good. Um and we yeah. saw some of those concerns even that that existed for Mark Andrews. I mean, Mark Andrews, you look at his season from like week eight on, it doesn't look much different than Kyle Pitts' season. It's just, you know, we got the primacy stuff where the first series of his games were very strong. But you start, what is it? Like, it's actually week seven on. He had week 17, he had a nine catch, 100 yard game. But other than that, he didn't go over like 65 yards at any point. He had a bunch of two catch, three catch, four catch games. It looked a lot like Pitt's stat line, frankly, for more than half the season. It's not how he's going to be remembered, but I also have a hard time with him at 13th overall for the same reason. Like the, the offense might not throw to now if Lamar Jackson actually leaves, which I don't think he will. I think he's going to get franchise tagged, but um, maybe that offense changes or maybe they develop it with a different offensive coordinator because Greg Roman's gone. But it like I'm a little bit concerned about what we saw out of those offenses with those tight ends.
Yeah, that's fair. I get it. Uh, also, I do want to know. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is Davis's team who did pull the trigger on. Uh, I heard him say he took Bijan Robinson in the first round, and I do believe this is a Davis team: Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, Ravondre, Lamar, Kyle Pitts, and then uh, Quentin Johnson, Rashad White. Yeah, this has Davis's fingerprints all over. He fell on all the grenades. Took Trey Lance as well. I mean, the tra- I love the Trey Lance pick, especially oh, now that. Yeah. Purdy, Purdy's hurt. They just said today in an interview, they're not. There's no way Garoppolo's coming back. Everyone was trying to connect the dots with Brady. No one wants to believe they actually like Trey Lance, but they made him their starter last year, and then he got hurt. And all of the rushing quarterbacks worked really well against the defenses that teams are running in the modern NFL. I think Trey Lance would have had a fantastic season this year. I'll be back in on Trey Lance next year at these prices, especially. And I think the Niners are still in on Trey Lance. They're they're like. That's another element he could have added to our otherwise elite offense as he could have added a rushing, a quarterback yeah. rushing element that, you know, the Eagles have with Jalen Hurts that, you know, the Giants use Daniel Jones to, to in positive ways to go farther than I think they they should have. He They really leaned into that in their win over the Vikings in the playoffs. There's a lot of teams that use the quarterback rushing effectively this year. Um, I, I I don't really see why so many people think that Trey Lance is not going to start next year. I think like it's, it's the favorite and and like a pretty solid favorite. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I will also say like a lot has changed literally in like the past 24 hours, as far as them saying Jimmy Garoppolo is for sure gone, Tom Brady retiring. I mean, literally yesterday he was plus 150 to be on the Niners in betting markets. Like stuff has changed so much and really cleared out in a way. Obviously they've gotten a pretty rosy timeline for Purdy. It sounds like he should be fully good to go, but I do think we are going to get an epic Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance camp battle. And it's like, man, the Niners are in this sick spot because it's like the bird in the hand. They know exactly what Purdy is. They know what his upside is. They know like what he can do for the team. And it's probably losing to the Eagles in the conference championship game. And I don't even or, think, yeah. I, 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 I think I would argue that the camp battle thing is going to be less of a battle than it feels like. Cause he's going to be coming back from, they said it's a fully torn UCL, right? I've, I've seen the six to nine month timeline stuff, but in like baseball, that's like an 18 month injury. And I don't, they, I don't know it's different, they, but. The quotes have been three to six month timeline. And I mean, obviously everyone's going to paint a more optimistic picture than is maybe reality, but everything coming out from them now is he's going to be, he's going to be fine. But yeah, I guess I feel like he's going to still be rehabbing six months from now in August and Lance is going to be healthier. I mean, Lance had a pretty significant injury too, but I'm pretty sure it was just like clean breaks of his leg. Right. Like pretty. Yeah. And I mean, if you're the Niners, you're in a good spot ultimately, right? Like you should be starting Lance and then know that you have one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. Right. Like Brock Purdy. I think Purdy looks like a great backup for next season as he sort of rehabs and they can kind of, but I, I think they're going to go into the year with Lance as a starter and, and use Purdy's injury as sort of like, he's going to be our back. And maybe he takes over mid season. If he's like, you know, totally fine. I think it is going to be optimistic to assume if he had a fully torn UCL UCL and needs Tommy John surgery, that he's going to be ready seven months from now to play in an NFL game. I don't think that's going to happen based on like the pitch baseball timelines that, you know, that I'm familiar with. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, when you think about the information ambiguity, like hammering a guy like Lance, you know, early on before, like if he is solidified as the starter again, like he's going to go exactly where he did last year, which is like a sixth and seventh round pick like drafters now, um, 
like ourselves are so in love with the upside scenarios, like there's not going to be a Trey Lance discount. Have you heard anything from the Niners? You're way more in tune with the news than I am that suggests that they are in any way disenchanted with Trey Lance. Cause I have not heard anything from the team. It's a lot of fantasy football speculation that basically is what we do every time a player gets injured after it. Like, yeah, they sat him the whole rookie year and then he got hurt. And so it's like, it's been two years. We've had a bunch of hype. He's not performed to the hype in part because he hasn't played or almost entirely because he hasn't played. But I don't think the Niners are looking at it like, oh, we're done with Trey Lance. Why? What have we, have you seen anything like that from the team? I haven't seen anything like that. I mean, the one thing that was interesting and I saw who pointed this out. Oh yeah, Kyle. So there was the thing where the former, like, I think it was like director of player personnel is now the GM of the Titans. And when that happened, Trey Lance on his Instagram did a photo of it and like the crossing fingers emoji um, with like, you know, you connect the dots. And so the only extrapolation for me there is just Trey Lance feeling like he's now an outsider in his own organization and wanting a fresh start. But this is all before a lot of stuff has since happened to where now his path to being the starting quarterback isn't near as, you know, difficult as it would have been a week ago. And I mean, I guess the way I was looking at it is like, yeah, pretty took them to the conference championship, but so did Garoppolo last year, and they still started Lance Week One this year. Like they they made a decision they wanted Lance over Garoppolo after he did the same thing, and Garoppolo was more established than Purdy ever was, right? I think yeah. it would be a pretty big decision for the Niners to to having not really seen Lance play much to throw in the towel and and just like move on and be ready for Brock Purdy to be their guy. Yeah, and I see people in the chat saying that it can't be a six-month injury. And again, this is coming from Kyle Shanahan. He's always going to paint an optimistic scenario. But the report from Mike uh, Garofolo today, Shanahan says the most encouraging thing he's heard on Purdy is if surgery is done, he'll build up his arm strength from three to six months. By six months, he'll be the same dude and ready to go. So I guess you can you can call bullshit on that, or you can say there's a kernel of truth, but um, they're taking a more positive angle on it. I'm going to pull up this other draft board that yeah, it might be different. Me. It might be different from baseball to football too. There's a lot more velocity in baseball. There's a lot more torque on the elbow. It could just be a different, yeah. a different thing. I'm going to pull up this draft board just because it's a little easier to look at. Let, let's hook our guy up here. Uh, Kyle came out firing in the chat. Uh, Calvin Ridley's ADP. He was going in, I think it was the sixth round in that other one. He goes in the fifth round here. What are your early thoughts on Calvin Ridley value? I think the market tends to be optimistic on players like this that have missed a ton of time. I mean, I think the best example um, would be Michael Thomas's last offseason. Obviously, Thomas gets hurt again. It's not like really clean and easy, but a lot of times like you're going to get people going to be like Calvin Ridley is going to play just like he did when he was at his peak. He wasn't even very good in 2021 for the five games. In fact, he was really bad before he got suspended. And, and But some of that was off the field stuff, and he kind of decided to step away from the team, and then he got suspended. Don't really know what was going on there, but if you go look at his like game logs and everything, or uh, season career logs, what have you, 2020 was his fantastic year. It was really good in 2018 and 2019. Those are his rookie and second seasons. That was sort of what I would call his peak. I think what people – tend to do is just go okay well he was this good at his peak he's still young enough he's 28 right now that he can you know he'll play to that level but we are removed from those seasons you don't know where he's at physically necessarily um we don't know how he'll fit as as well in in a new offense and all those layers i think he can be good but i think in these situations the market has shown time and again 
that it has a tendency to like paint a really rosy picture. And it's another one of the ones that I'd argue where we start to draft these guys close to their ceilings. Fifth round here, probably not close to his ceiling. Obviously we've seen Calvin Ridley play to like first round capabilities. And if Trevor Lawrence takes a huge step forward, I mean, he, he could be really good. I think he's going to rise from here, honestly. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, like we didn't play last year. So in the first drafts, I feel like a lot of it is drafting off of last year's, you know, big names and, and scoring. A lot of times these guys that miss time are forgotten about. I bet Michael Thomas was a lot lower in January last year than he wound up in August. But um, Traylon Burks or Calvin Ridley? I think I would take Ridley there. Burks really? is still a guy that I want, but another offensive can, you know, team concerns. I think I'm going to be a little bit more wary of that this year after we saw the whole league be down. And I think that could carry over to next year where you're going to want the offenses that are actually capable of being special as opposed to the ones that are just dumpster fires for fantasy. And the Titans might be a dumpster fire for fantasy next year. Talk about a fall from grace, Gabe Davis, you know, a man who had found himself into what the third, yeah. fourth round of some drafts now all the way down in the eighth round here. But I like that price. I mean, dude, he yeah. had like an ankle injury all year. He hurt himself early. He still performed a little bit in the playoffs. The Gabe Davis discourse is nonsense. It's been it's been hilarious on Twitter all year. There's a, a lot of discussion about him. I think he's a good player. Did not play to his capabilities this year. Um, not somebody I'm going to pound the table for all offseason because, again, there's a lot of Gabe Davis discussion, and there's been a lot of victory laps about him not performing particularly well this year. But he still made some plays. You still saw the shape of the stuff that he can do. The Bills probably add at receiver, though. So, I mean, that's the one thing that's a little tough in the early offseason. We, we don't know for sure where they're going to be, whether he's going to project for a ton of routes, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you saw that uh, the press conference with their GM, too, and how salty he was about the questions about adding another elite pass catcher, saying, hey, we didn't have to tank to get Jamar Chase. Like, you could tell that that got under his skin, even that question. That's going to be something he's going to be thinking about all offseason. For sure. For sure. Um, I, you got the quarterbacks going really high here again. Um, it's, I mean, these drafts are fun. There's not a lot of receivers going early, Pete. Like, we're, we can be piss boys again. <laughs> I don't I think people say, like receivers right. anymore. Dude, like, I love Ramondre Stevenson. Second round Ramondre Stevenson feels like playing with some fucking fire. Second round Josh Jacobs. I mean, you got DJ Moore in the fifth, Chris Godwin in the fifth, Michael Pittman I don't even really love, but I, I like him in the fifth, Judy, Mike Williams in the sixth, Christian Watson I don't love, but I would take him in the sixth. Terry McLaurin's a late sixth. Like, look at these names. Marquise Brown's in the seventh. There's Cortland Sutton's in the seventh. Deontay Johnson's right there with Gabe Davis in the eighth. I don't, again, don't think Deontay Johnson had a good year this year, but Jamison Williams and Rashad Bateman are eighth rounders. Do you not love all those wide receiver prices? Darnell I Mooney's wish... a ninth rounder now. I don't think Darnell Mooney's amazing, but I'll take him in the ninth round. Dude, this eighth round is pretty loaded. Bateman, some rookies. Jamison Williams, I love that price there for him. Gabe Davis and Deontay Johnson. That eighth round, is... you don't see eighth round like no. that come September. I no. promise you that. And yeah. it does thin out. Like, you look at the... Uh, the 12th. I mean, there's, you start to get a lot of rookies here in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, but like sky's going in the 10th. I'm going to be concerned about taking sky in the 10th after what we saw this year. Um, you know, Romeo Dobbs, I love, but he's still going in the 12th. 
I, I, like, I do like Wandell in the 12th. I like Elijah in the 12th. The 13th, you're getting into like Lazard, Hunter Renfro. It does start to thin out. Those are not names that I'm like thrilled to take. Uh, the fact that you could get like five really good receivers by the eighth round and still be able to take a couple detours, you could take six, you could take seven really good receivers by the eighth round. I mean, it's a fun proposition in the early parts of these drafts. It's kind of insane. Like I know, um, and I don't even remember who the show was that kind of steamed Sky more up, but I know some show was talking yeah. about him a lot. But before that, like this was where Sky Moore was going in drafts. And we have an entire season of information and he's going in the exact same place. Right. Like, how is that possible? He's got to go lower than this. And at the same time, like, I mean, if he goes a lot lower than this, I am going to want to take some stabs at him. (laughs) Yeah. So I can understand why people are are willing to bet into like, okay, well, it is year two and he's still tied to Patrick Mahomes. Like, apparently we're going to tell that story again this year. Uh, I don't know if uh, someone else might have to pick up the baton of that story. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see here. Other, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be the the first to admit, I don't, I mean, I know Jackson Smith and Jigba, but uh, I know uh, B. John Robinson, but man, I am, I am green on these rookies. So I can't really speak on, on any of the valuations here other than loading up on these guys at cheap prices early on has generally been a winning strategy. Right. I'm pretty green on it as well. I know people are talking about Robinson as like a top 20 pick. I mentioned that in my Substack post where as much as we talk about how running back uh, value has fallen, it's actually it's start, that fall started a long time ago. You look at the last decade, there have only been five running backs that have gone in the top 20 rounds. That goes back to like Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon were both, uh, or excuse me, top 20 overall picks in the NFL draft. They were both in the top 20 in the same draft. You have McCaffrey, you have uh, Fournette, Zeke, and Saquon at six. Uh, six running backs in the last like 10 drafts before Gurley and Melvin, which was the same draft. They went 10 and 15. There was like three years where there was no running back who went in the top 20. They were either, you know, there's, there's late first round running backs, but those top 20 picks uh, most uh, years, people talk about how the, there are basically like 20 blue chip prospects and the late first is, it should almost be viewed as like the, the top 20 is the first round grade. Late first is more like the early second, you know, extension, if you will, like, it's not yeah. a clean cutoff at the end of the first round. We should think of the top 20 as sort of a separate thing. And there's only been a handful of running backs that I just named or six running backs that have been in the top 20 in the last decade. And most of them have been superstars. I mean, again, Barkley, McCaffrey, Fournette's like the least accomplished, but Zeke, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, these are all guys that have been top three fantasy running backs over multiple seasons. Uh, people are talking about Bijan as, as potentially being like that. I can see why he goes in the second round here. I've seen him in the first round. I think he was in the first and the other one we looked at. It makes sense for him to be going that high if he's going to get drafted with that type of capital, um, particularly if he has a shot to go like in the top 15 or top 10. Uh, landing spot still is going to matter a ton for him, though. Then there's the other back that Pat was telling us about, Jamar Gibbs, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. he's 701. And I think that's a pretty nice price for him probably at 701. I've seen him in like the fourth. Um, yeah. Quinton Johnson in the eighth there. You mentioned, mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba. Johnson's a guy from TCU that people really like. He's looking like he'll be the top uh, receiver drafted. Or Jordan Addison who went 901. That's just, I mean, I don't know a lot about their profiles yet. That's just from uh, looking at some expected draft capital stuff that those guys probably make a lot of sense in the eighth and the ninth too. If they go in the first round, 
And there will be receivers in the first round, the way that receiver oh, for sure. um, receiver contracts have blown up. There's going to be – people are talking like this year might be the year there's not going to be a lot of receivers in the first round. I think that trend's probably here to stay, right? Like we're going to get four or five receivers in the first round. I think pretty much every year going forward. Teams are getting more spread. They want depth at receiver. I just saw, you know, somebody, I, I don't know who, but I saw his face, uh, SiriusXM host on, on Twitter the other day talking about how the new meta is to have two elite receivers or something like that. I don't know. Do you know, I don't who, know that was? who that was? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why they keep posting those clips. <laughs> you got to get those receivers, though. I mean, that is a real thing. Yeah. I. Uh, what do you think? Uh, so, Jameson here, 11th round. Maybe I'm just so burned by not having any Josh Jacobs last year that I'm like, fucking David Montgomery 11th round doesn't look too bad. <laughs> I mean, I would take David Montgomery in the 11th round. That's the thing is like, that's the other thing I'm looking, I'm seeing when I look at this is like, yeah, early on you want to get running backs that you know, we're going to have roles and you can get burnt really quick with running backs. But do you really want to pay the iron price for Josh Jacobs in the second round? If you can get David Montgomery in the 11th, when it means the difference between one of these elite receivers that are going in that range and you know, you, you're making a rookie stab in the 11th. I do think the rookie prices are nice, but looks like Zay Flowers is another rookie, was the next receiver after Montgomery. The next receiver after Jacobs was Garrett Wilson. I mean, if Garrett Wilson gets a QB upgrade, <laughs> it's going to be wheels up. Yeah. I'm taking Let's Wilson see. Montgomery over Jacobs, Zay Flowers every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let us know in the chat what else uh, what else jumps out to you guys on this board as being interesting. Anything else here for you, uh, Gretch? I think the the running backs is a great point, um, but it is tough in early drafts. I probably like if I was doing a bunch of drafts right now, I probably would be looking to take an anchor running back or two, maybe even um, because you do have some trouble in these later rounds. A lot of these guys are not even going to have roles. You start getting down to like the 15th round. Like we have no idea. Like Isaiah Spiller is going there. Isaiah Spiller might be completely out of the Chargers plans in six months, right? They might draft a new uh, day two, day three running back or sign somebody in free agency. They they didn't really use him a ton. A lot of those guys back there, some of them will have value. But the way we approached it last year, Pete, was we went after some of the like pass catching backs thinking they – would have stable roles, but I mean, the McKissicks of the world got hurt and some of the other ones just weren't very good. Like Naheem Hines wasn't very good. It's no. tough. Gainwell there. flopped in the regular season. Gain, yep. I mean, it's tough without the pass catchers to lean back on. A lot of these dudes, we don't know what their roles are going to be. You can make those bets, but you probably want to be taking some running back swings reasonably high to lock in like something but I'd probably just be thin at running back overall and take, you know, a decent number of receivers. But this is also why I probably wouldn't be doing early QB like this. Cause I feel like, yeah, it's a bet on Derek Carr to take him in the 12th round, but that's a bet that I feel a lot more comfortable with that Derek Carr is going to start somewhere and be a solid quarterback for a, a best ball build, as opposed to whatever, you know, running back bet I have to make in that range, Alexander Madison or something who like, legitimately might not even be the Vikings backup anymore next year. Like we don't know, like Ty Chandler could beat him out or they could go somewhere else. Um, or, you know, maybe he winds up beating out Dalvin cook. I don't know, but yeah, it's like, it's... It... go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, what do you think? I didn't even blink at this Garrett Wilson at 23. I feel like he would be like, if you just told me they were going to have like the same QB setup as last year, or some, you know, triumvirate, 
of those shitty guys, I would say he's like a mid to late third round pick. And then if you bake in a quarterback upgrade, presumably Rogers, like late second, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm it's aggressive the there. It's aggressive with like a lava in the mid fourth and some of the other prices you're looking at. But um, like the way I'd put it is like, there's, <laughs> it's a little early to be saying this, but there's basically no price where I'm not going to get some exposure to him. I still think the late second is fine to, to be getting exposure to him, especially right now with the QB uncertainty. If the QB situation is confirmed bad, that's one thing. But, like, if they get Aaron Rodgers, dude, Garrett Wilson's going to be a top five receiver. Yep. Yeah. No, that's where that's where I'm at there, too. And I guess I guess maybe because you have that uncertainty, you don't want to pay Rodgers prices until that's confirmed. I get that. Um, but I also – don't blame anyone for clicking, clicking there. Uh, I agree with uh, FF Disguise here. Singletary in the 14th, you know, even a more exaggerated version of the David Montgomery pick. I mean, there's yep. just zero downside risk at that price. Another free agent I'm looking at is Miles Sanders in the eighth. Like everyone yeah. was talking about how we should have been taking Miles Sanders in the eighth because of how good of a season he had. And he's going in the eighth again, even though he had that good of a season. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Tyler Algier in the seventh, I kind of like. I mean, he had a really good end of last season. They're Cam Akers, 7-12. He actually looked – we did. knew that Achilles are 18-month injuries. He looked like he got over his Achilles by the end of the season. He looked like pre-injury Cam Akers. I think there was too high of expectations coming into the season. Um, but once we started to see those flashes that show that he can actually potentially play at the pre-injury level again – like, I'm taking him at 712. I'm okay with that. He was like a stud pre-injury. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Kyle says Chargers stack uh looks like great value. Mike Williams uh going in the six. That that one's pretty interesting, I would say. Yeah. Keenan Allen 512. I mean, I'm I i have not been on Keenan Allen much the last couple of years. We're finally getting that age discount that I, I wrote last year. He was in the third that we we needed a discount. He should have been falling to the fifth last season. Uh, now he's there and he was still good when on the field this year. So I'm very comfortable with his price at five twelve too. I like the charger stack. I like that. Yeah. What was the, uh, Oh yeah. We should talk about this one because I've been seeing, where's the comment about Hawkinson guys. I'm so fucking tired. I'm losing my mind these days. Um, I can't find the post, but someone said, what do you think about Hawkinson back end of the second round? Because that is where he's been going in these drafts too rich. Are you a buyer there? Yeah, that's, that's one I can understand in tight end premium, but it's, um, it feels a little bit like when we all got in on, uh, who's the, who's the Rams tight end? I can't think of his name. Higby. Oh, his really strong stretch. The end of that year, the difference was Higby, not a very good prospect, did not have any production and then had one really good five game stretch. Hawkinson, really strong prospect, really strong draft capital, yeah. had everything, changed teams, and immediately played to a level that we had never seen him really play with the Lions. And, and it makes you feel like there was something with Detroit's system that was potentially limiting him, which we've seen with tight ends being a little bit more system-related. The name that always comes to my mind when I think about this is Greg Olson, who started his career with the Bears and wasn't a very good tight end with the Bears finally got loose over to Carolina and suddenly goes on to be like one of the best pass catching tight ends uh, in the league throughout his career in Carolina. Like that, that's the career Hawkinson can definitely have is the sort of the Greg Olson career. And I mean, he could be 
better, obviously. Like he was a top 10, he was 10th overall pick, right? I mean, he was a he was one of the highest drafted tight ends in the last decade. He was good enough with Minnesota for that stretch that I get this price. It's also, I mean, it's betting a lot on a small sample. It's a high risk, high reward bet for sure. Yeah, and I think the other thing too about these drafts, and granted, this is just one draft in a in a bucket, but you know, it you find yourself in these spots in FFPC drafts where it's a structural decision, where it's almost not even TJ Hawkinson, but it's like TJ Hawkins archetype. And if you want to build through an elite tight end, and then you're asking yourself, like, hey, the two three turn is way too early for me to take George Kittle or Kyle Pitts and Dallas Goddard, and then you're saying to yourself, I don't want to have Dalton Schultz or Waller or Ingram, and so. You just get pushed to Hawkinson because we've had that dynamic happen to us in main event drafts where structurally we make the pick, even if we think it's a bit rich ADP. Right. Right. And that's, that's probably the way to describe it. Cause I do think it is probably a little bit rich. I'd probably like him in the mid third, late third, three, four turn if I could get it there, but that might not be the price we get on Hawkinson this year in, in premium. Yeah, I don't think it is. It is really wild. Like, I guess, like, we knew the quarterbacks were going to go early, but I'm still having sticker shock seeing it. Like, I'm thinking about all the drafts we did last year and just imagine seeing Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow all go off in the third round. I mean, that was such a juicy range for wide receivers last year, and some of those guys are just going to get pushed down now. Yeah, I mean, three receivers in the third round in this draft, three receivers in the fourth round. You got six receivers in those two rounds? There's only four in the second. There's seven in the first. I mean, that sets a really heavy like tone and, and Lamb is 201. But from that point on, you just kind of take your eyes from 202 down the second round, down the third, down the fourth. You're not seeing as many receivers as you normally see. And that's what's pushing DJ Moore to 501. And I was just talking about Keenan Allen at 512. Like they're not even that much lower than they were going last year. He's wide receiver 18, DJ Moore. Keenan's wide receiver 23. A lot of times those would be you know, early fourth, what, late third picks in some of these drafts that are really receiver heavy last year? Yeah. Maybe not wide receiver 23, but wide receiver 18, I think we've probably seen in the third round. And in in these early drafts, at least, we're seeing receiver be deprioritized a little bit, which, I mean, opens up the path to go, look at the two-hole, Jefferson, Garrett Wilson, T. Higgins. I, I mean, you didn't even have to go Pollard and Kamara in those spots, but Okay, Pollard, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, Pollard injury probably hadn't happened yet. I'm assuming when this was done. But DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown, JSN. Look at those receivers that that built in. Probably with the four and the six, I, I would have preferred like to get. I don't know. Lamar Jackson goes four twelve. I would have probably preferred him to Pollard there at the six. Maybe another receiver. Even I, you could went. I mean, you can have really strong receivers when the draft's not going receiver heavy, right? When it's not. A piss yeah. boy draft. Yeah, this is not a piss boy draft. I mean, the one hole Jamison and the 12 hole are the only teams that went zero RB waiting until the seventh round to draft their first running back. But man, this just looks like old school FFPC business as usual, no seismic ADP shifts. Right. And that's um that's nice yeah. to see. But interestingly, you point out with the QBs being really high, and there's a lot of tight ends pretty high. We're also getting good prices on some running backs. So it's not even, I mean. I see a question about Aaron Jones in the chat. Like he goes in the middle of the fifth round. He's RB20 in the middle of the fifth round. That's not like a super RB heavy draft either. It's a, it'll be interesting to see. I think probably the quarterbacks will settle in a little bit lower over time. These tight ends will probably settle in a little bit lower. 
And so that will push up some receivers, but it'll push up some running backs too. It's not going to be exactly like this, but right now looking at this, like there's a lot of ways to build that are, if you're not overreacting too much to 2022 and you're willing to kind of take a similar approach to, to what you did going into 2022, even if it didn't pan out particularly well last year, you can build some really fun teams when you look at a board like this. Yeah. And I mean, it's the, I know it's the same thing every year too, where these guys, a guy like Aaron Jones, like you said, there's ambiguity about just projecting him for touches. And when there's that ambiguity, you're getting this insane discount. Nothing about the player has changed. And Aaron Jones is a guy who, you know, sure there's some situations that could be disastrous, but for the most part, like, I don't know, Aaron Jones is going to be Aaron Jones in most offenses. Right. Uh, it, but it's just really interesting. You take advantage of that discount. Now I, I can't even come up with a landing spot, you know, where it would necessarily be bad, but he's going to vault a round or two the second you I get mean, clarity on that. He's the type of player that he's always been interesting, even when he's been in a committee, because he's explosive. He can catch, um, yeah, I mean, game-breaking big playability and receiving ability is enticing to me uh, in the fifth round. I mean, even if he's in a committee, and I almost like am okay with him being in a committee. It's almost like a you know DeAndre Swift profile, which he what mid third. I mean, he's cheap too. I like that a little bit. Like, and and, and Swift obviously did get hurt, but I think I would make a case that not having to carry twenty five times a game to get their value is probably better for their health, right? Those types of backs. Yeah. I mean, they're a little smaller typically, but I was – those are ones Sean's got me. I mean, that's the the profile that Sean always loves to talk about is those explosive backs. He goes back to Jamal Charles, but it's a little bit like a Jamal Charles, like what Aaron Jones has done. Now, he's had a somewhat similar career, obviously not as good as Jamal Charles, but that's the type of player that – he's like 30, though. Like, he is getting up there in age, but that's the type of player that I – am into no he's just turned 28 actually he's not quite as old as i thought i don't know i'm into him in the fifth round when he's been as productive as, as he's been basically his whole career for sure and now i'm starting to get starting to get the itch here uh i promise you we'll be doing plenty of drafting on these airwaves but wanted to set the table look at a few draft boards uh Gretch, any other things on your mind here before we power this down no, I'm just ready to draft. We'll do maybe we should do some next week before Packets back because we got to get our million dollar winners drafted before he's around. Because you know, you know, we could check out the available prize pools. Um, I think we might need to win like first through four hundredth place <laughs> like ten times over uh, in some of these contests, and then maybe we can. We might not be getting a million even even then, but yeah. Um, appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for hanging out in the chat. If you want to join us in the ship chasing discord, we always would love having you in there. We can talk uh, some more Omni fantasy for those of you who had questions. Also in the deposit kingdom discord, there is an Omni fantasy channel down there as well. If you guys want to check out some of your teams or ask Gretch questions, uh, Gretch still pumping out, uh, stealing bananas podcasts. Any, any posts that people can look forward to in the next week or so. Yeah, I just did the one that looked at um, similar to what we did tonight, looked at some ADP and wrote some stuff up. And then I'm going to do a few more. I mentioned in that post, a few more are coming. Um, some biggest takeaways from 2020, which is a little late. I had planned to write that the week of the, the Hamlin injury and not knowing that that was going to happen. And then also that Pat was going to be, you know, in, in this position he was in. It was a busy week that week, ultimately. Uh, and then we went into the playoff stuff. So I've been putting that off, but. 
uh, have like a whole outline written for the big takeaways from 2022. So that'll be a fun one when I get that put together. Awesome. Yeah. I'll also do, since you're bad at doing your own plugs, Ben, I'll put in a plug for uh, stealing lines. Dalton was giving out recently some futures Super Bowl bets that I thought were super fun. He gave <laughs> yeah. out two. I won't give them out here, but I was like, okay, I want to go bet those. Uh, I want to go bet those. So yeah, some fun stuff over there at stealing bets as well. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing lines did, did really well this year. He did awesome. I finished in the black doing the sides and totals and um, solving the black good year for, for that. Cause that's a, obviously a tougher market. He did incredibly well in the props. He's going to be grinding the draft stuff coming up. A lot of off season markets, combine stuff. I know he had some big hits on the combine last year. He's good, man. He grinds the the props, hits a lot on a lot of long shot stuff. If you are looking for some of the off season uh, bets, you'll have a lot of interesting markets that we'll be playing. So yeah, come join us over there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, good luck to everyone too. I mean, we'll have a show uh, most likely next week, but good luck to everyone in the uh, the underdog uh, playoff contest. I got some teams through to the finals, Gretch, but, uh, no full lineups, unfortunately, just like two and three guys here and there. So ended up being a profitable thing for me, but not going to have a fun, uh, playoff sweat. Unlike some of the people, Nomar is, uh, in the discord, extremely live to win the big mitten. Um, the, like the finals is like nine dead teams and then him going toe to toe with another team, uh, to take it down. So nice. congratulations to all of our, underdog finalists take that down um like i said we should be back next week we'll let you know you can uh, follow us on twitter at ship chasing we'll keep you posted have a great week enjoy your last weekend or your second i don't know how to phrase this a weekend without football before lots of weekends without football i believe is how that should be said so for ben gretch i'm pete we'll see you guys next time